Hello and welcome to a very special episode, a very special podcast on the American Shoreline Podcast Network. Uh, this is Derek Brockbank. I'm the host of the Capital Beach Podcast, and I'm joined by a bunch of very special guests today. Uh, Dan Janolfi. Howard Marlow. From the Waterlog Podcast. And we have our two guests with us here today. I'm Eric Bush. I'm the Acting Chief of Planning here at the Corps of Engineers Headquarters. And Joe Redican, the Deputy Chief of Planning and Policy here at Headquarters. And I'm really excited about this. We've actually got two podcasts. I think it's the two podcasts based in Washington, D.C., both the Capitol Beach and Waterlog. Uh, regular listeners know that we cover all the coastal issues going on in the Capitol. I think it's a really exciting time for us to join together. It's like Thor and, and Captain America coming together with the Avengers. You know, soon enough, we'll get everyone from the podcast network on one super Infinity War podcast. So we got a great conversation today. We're going to talk about planning with the core. What is planning? It's, I would think it's probably one of the most important things that the core does. And we've got uh, the deputy director and the acting chief of planning and policy at the core to talk about it. So really exciting episode. Um, we'll, we'll dive in. Uh, first, we do, of course, need to give a shout out to a couple of our sponsors. In fact, all of our sponsors. Dunedoctors.com. Uh, it's a great company based out of Florida. Federic Barasset is one of the nation's best at restoring and maintaining dune systems for communities, property owners, anyone who needs a, a beach and dune system restored can work with dunedoctors.com. Uh, also, Coastal Engineering Consultants, Michael Poff leads a great team at Coastal Engineering Consultants. They do work all along the Atlantic and, and Gulf Coast. Their website is coastalengineering.com. They were the guys who actually scooped that uh, spiffy URL, coastalengineering.com. And I need to give a personal shout out to them. Uh, they worked on the Kamenata Headlands project, which a lot of folks did. And ASBPA just recently announced that the Kamenata Headlands was a 2019 Best Restored Beach winner. So hire Michael Poff and you too could have a Best Restored Beach winner. Uh, and then finally, LJA Engineering. Bill Warsham is based out of Texas. They do great work across the Gulf Coast. Um, LJA.com, Coastal Engineering. It's a, a coastal engineering firm and sort of an all-purpose coastal firm, LJA Engineering. Uh, great, great group. So definitely check out all of our sponsors, Dune Doctors, Coastal Engineering Consultants, and LJA Engineering. Thank you to them. That's what allows us to be here today. And with that, we are going to kick off our interview. So Dan, why don't you kick us off? All right, let's go ahead and get started. Do some introductions first, just so we get to know our guests a little bit better. Um, first, how'd you guys come to work with the Corps? And then what's your personal interest in the coast uh, and beaches? Well, I'll start uh, start out with that, Dan. So uh, my introduction to the Corps of Engineers was uh, through the state of Florida. I worked for the state of Florida for 10 years in Tallahassee. At that time, I really didn't know what the Corps of Engineers did as an agency, what its responsibilities were. And so that was my first introduction to the Corps of Engineers. My specific job was to review applications for water quality certifications. Those are permits that the, the state would issue under the Clean Water Act to the Corps of Engineers to do projects uh, in, in the state of Florida waters. And so um, you may know that in Florida, the, uh, the civil works boundaries for the Corps of Engineers is divided um, in northwest Florida. So from about Tallahassee to the west, that would be the Mobile District, and from east and all the way through the peninsula was, uh, was the Jacksonville District. So it was a great exposure for me to the Corps of Engineers and two different districts, and particularly the cultural differences between districts. I got, I got uh, accustomed to that right away. Thanks, Eric. And then Joe? 
So I, I guess mine is uh, from where I grew up. So I grew up in Long Island, New York, and uh, anybody from Long Island, New York uh, understands a little project called Fire Island Montauk Point, which uh, normally made the papers every couple of days, it seemed like, as a kid growing up. So, And I need to say, little being sarcastic, right? Yes, Fire yes, Island to yes, Montauk yes, Point yes, is a very yes, big project. Yes, yes. <laughs> So um, you heard about the Corps of Engineers growing up, but you never really knew what they did. And as somebody who grew up about seven houses from the North Shore beaches, um, very interested in the beaches, so um, just happened to get a job in the Corps of Engineers coming out of college, went to school in the Bronx, and a lot of people from the Bronx uh, who uh, I went to Manhattan College, uh, graduated, worked in the Corps of Engineers, and they just sort of sucked me into the district, and it's been there ever since, so 24 years later, so... How long have you guys been at headquarters now? Uh, I've been at headquarters for 11 years. Okay. I've been here for three months. I came <laughs> up on a, on a temporary assignment. Uh, my permanent position right now is with our South Atlantic region in Atlanta, and so I'm the regional planning chief down in the uh, South Atlantic division. Right. And you were at Jacksonville before Prior that? to that, I was in Jacksonville district for 14 years. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and ironically, Mr. Bush was my boss at one time when I was in, down in Jacksonville, too, mm-hmm. so... You had mentioned that this is not a new dynamic. No. <laughs> yeah, it's a small world, Joe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hopefully we work well together. Yeah. So far, so good. So can you guys talk a little bit more? What do you guys do at headquarters and what is particularly, what is planning uh, at the core and how does that vary between you know, the district, division, and then finally headquarters level? So I, I guess I'll start off with, so what is planning? So planning to me is, and to what a lot of us do in the Corps of Engineers is, you know, when we're working and we get approached or we see that there's uh, problems and issues that somebody wants to address, um, a planner will go and look at those problems and issues and work with their partner and others to try to identify solutions. So, and it's not necessarily a black and white solution. So a planner uh, is a little bit uh, I'd say dangerous and everything. They have to know a little bit about everything that's going on in a project from different different technical inputs from uh, from engineering and environmental and, and other things. But they help bring everything together to see what are solutions that could uh, address the problem that's out there. And I guess as far as leading that then into what how we work within the districts division and headquarters. So of course you get down into the districts and. Those are the people who are really addressing the problems on a local level. They're working hand-in-hand with their uh, local partners and other stakeholders in the area. And as you go up the chain in the core hierarchy, it's our job to give bigger perspectives. So if you go from the district then to the division and then up to headquarters, and then ultimately up to what, what we have is our secretary's office, provide that bigger perspective in terms of how it fits into what Congress is looking for us to do. So, well, I think of planning as the process for making investment recommendations to decision makers. And so, as Joe says, most of that work is actually done at the district level, and I was you know, very happy and privileged to get to do that myself for, for a number of years, as we as we mentioned earlier. Here at the headquarters, one of the things that I've come to appreciate is, is uh, you know, the headquarters planning office has multiple roles. Um, you know, we are involved in uh, delivering those final recommendations in terms of uh, a director's report or a chief's report uh, through that decision process uh, on up to the assistant secretary of the army or uh, even even over to the office of management budget and eventually to congress but 
Um, we are equally um, involved as staff for the chief of engineers and the, the deputy commanding general for civil works and the director of civil works here. So, so this so the staff work we do here is is uh, a critical component of of uh, the headquarters function, and then also gets us pretty involved with. Congress, uh, interacting with congressional committees and staff, committees and staff, more individual members and their and their respective staffs, uh, also with the Assistant Secretary of the Army uh, and his team, Mr. James and his team. That's another component of what we do at the headquarters is, uh, as far as the, the staff support we provide to the chief uh, and, and uh, the other senior leaders here at the headquarters. So if I can sort of maybe summarize or see if I'm hearing you guys correctly, it sounds like at the district level, a lot of what planners do is work on projects. You're trying to get projects yes. from idea to completion A to Z. And then it sounds like a little bit more as you sort of rise to division and then headquarters, you're looking at, makes sense, sort of more regionally, more broadly, figuring out, it sounds like a little bit of a resource management, trying to figure out how you're spending dollars wisely. Is that part of it or is that more on budgeting side? Well, yeah, I think that's a part of it for sure. It's, um it's always about priorities, and so the regional uh, level for the Corps of Engineers is really about uh, balancing competing priorities within the region, and, mm -hmm. both in terms of priorities and also uh, in terms of projects and, and uh, actions that the Corps of Engineers is going to take as an enterprise. Uh, so it's, there's definitely a, a resource component to it. And then I also want to mention there's a, another component that's a critical component that is at the headquarters level also, and that's policy, uh, policy mm -hmm. development. You know, so we. We develop policy in response to uh, new authorizations that Congress gives us uh, through the Water Resources Development Acts and other legislation. And we also um, interpret it. Okay, another, th another role that we have at the headquarters is to help our regional offices and districts uh, interpret policies in a project-specific sense in order for them to execute the, the projects, the studies that they're doing. So Congress sets a law. It's either not explicitly clear, or even if it is clear, you guys put together implementation guidance and then help regions right. or districts explain how that applies to them? Right. So we'll set an overall policy for the nation. And then in working with the divisions and districts, then they're able to provide feedback back up to headquarters on how is that policy? Does that policy make sense here? So we're able to then take their real life examples that they're working with their partners on and helping refine the policies that we have and what are opportunities to improve those or to even make recommendations to Congress to improve those if they wish to. I'd be interested in uh, finding out how you folks interface with other divisions within the uh, headquarters. Because I know, let's say, if we're dealing at the district, a lot of our folks are listeners with core projects. They know their project manager. So there's a project management division or is it what other major divisions do we have here at headquarters that you folks are working with i guess how we're organized here in the civil works directorate at headquarters is we're broken into uh, functional areas which we have engineering construction planning and policy is one uh, regulatory and operations and then our homeland security office um, and we work uh, with those four functional areas across the uh, project development process from uh, in, initiating a study to operation and maintenance. And then within each of those, uh, you also have that what we call regional integration teams. So each of those functional chiefs, such as uh, Eric here has also, he oversees two uh, regional integration teams, which are the um, 
sort of the enablers for the districts and divisions up here at headquarters. So they're broken into their major supporting commands, these divisions, um, and, and, and Eric here oversees um, Southwestern Division and then uh, Mississippi Valley Division. And then each of those other functional groups also have two other groups with them. So these regional integration teams will be the the enabler for projects from beginning to end. Um, and they help raise issues across the functionals and then also to uh, other regions to see whether there's lessons learned or overlap. So that's where we've evolved um, over time and it seems that it, it is working well. The hard part is to, like you had said, Howard, in terms of the communication from the district up to headquarters. So it's our job to step forward and try to enable that communication and try to work with each other that not everybody's got the answer to everything, but um, you know there are enough folks here within the Corps of Engineers and our job is to try to help find some of those uh, people to help. And Eric, solutions. what's the role of division? We haven't mentioned division yet. Uh, how do they fit into the picture of at least planning a project? Well, before I answer that, I also want to mention that uh, you know we, we function as a, a civil works team, actually at all echelons in the Corps of Engineers, at the headquarters, at, a, at the regional or the division level, and also even at the district level. And so uh, other key components of our civil works teams would include, for example, the real estate office and even office of counsel. Uh, so I view it as a, as a team of civil works practitioners, and uh, you know we, we depend on the competencies that these other functional areas, these other functional groups provide in order to uh, put all that into a, a civil works planning effort or uh, or if we're in construction as well. You know, civil works is complex and so there's a, there's a lot to it and we, you know, we, we depend on the, these uh, technical competencies from these other functional areas. Uh, with respect to the um, the role of the division office, I mean, I, I, you know, I did mention, um, you know, it's about establishing priorities within the region and also as, as, as Derek pointed out, there's a resource management function there too. Uh, and so what I mean by that is uh, human resources, technical resources we need in order to, uh, particularly for studies, to efficiently develop those studies. So, so as a regional chief, one of my, my main jobs was to look across the region uh, and satisfy myself that uh, we had the technical competences we needed. And if we didn't have them, we would look elsewhere in the organization to find them. So, so that's one of the functions at the regional level there. And then, uh, you know, just to be clear, regional offices cover multiple states. And so uh, typically a regional office can cover anywhere from five to six states uh, on up to, you know, eight or nine like we have maybe in the northeastern region. So, uh, you know, what the regional office is doing is, is looking at all of the projects in the region, uh, making sure we're making progress on all those projects, uh, make, making sure we've, we've got the stakeholder relationships and partner relationships we need in order to make progress on those projects. And that would include interacting with uh, Congress and elected officials as well. How do you recruit more planners? How does the Corps recruit more planners? I would say it starts at, at the ground, you know. So we do, you know, for instance, we have college students starting here within this week and next week that are coming in to do about 20 to 30 college students will come in and work with throughout offices in the, in the headquarters, or at least in the civil work side of headquarters. And then it also goes down to just going in. So my my. I myself was recruited through college where I knew I found people who came in and talked about the Corps of Engineers up in the in, in my college and, and we learned about that. But it, and it's also working with others just to inform what we do, whether it's through uh, public engagements, stakeholder engagements, um, 
working with uh, you know communities, um, working with college colleges. We do a lot of STEM outreach um, through folks, uh, through schools. I know even in my kids' school, I've done pre-K. So I've done pre-K <laughs> STEM outreach to kids. And a lot of kids understand what's going on. You know, they're not naive. They hear the names that are around there. Um, so it's just a matter of keeping them exposed. exposed. Personally, I don't care whether anybody works for the Corps of Engineers or not. I like to see kids interested in STEM. Um, and, you know, we all work together, whether we're working for the Corps to do a project or with stakeholders or locals. Um, everybody plays a part in this. So that, that's my goal in making sure we identify folks. So if you've got a kindergartner good with math, you should apply for the Joe Redigan internship. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Marshmallows and toothpicks. Though. Yeah, internship, <laughs> but not scholarship. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Derek, I want to jump back here. We started talking about uh, regionality and regional studies. I just want to ask, uh, from the course perspective, what what is regionality and what does that mean to you in terms of projects and regionalizing projects? Well, you probably get a few answers depending on who you ask about what is regionality. But you know, to me, it's it's um, figuring out how we operate within the the geographic region which is already established uh, for for the Corps of Engineers what each geographic region is you know what the boundaries of those regions are how we how we operate within that region to efficiently and effectively execute our programs and projects and so historically you know we may have you know used sort of a stovepipe approach you know each district is sort of walled off from the other districts that isn't doesn't serve us very well anymore, and so uh, what I what I look to is uh, how we operate across organizational lines within the region to make sure that we've we've uh, you know identified the capacity and the competences that we need to, to do to do our projects and programs. But even bigger than that, now we're sort of thinking of ourselves as a civil works enterprise. That's one of the great things about working at the headquarters is that you see it a lot more or clearly. Uh, you know, it's important to me that we're operating across those organizational lines regionally to cover down all of our, our work because, as you know, uh, the workload is, is at an all-time high for the Corps of Engineers right now. With the recent budgets that Congress has given us, plus the emergency supplemental that came in 2018, we're looking at another supplemental uh, passing soon. So how we, how we cover down that work is, uh, is stretching our capacity. And so that means we have to look across regional lines in order to make sure that we uh, are effectively uh, and efficiently doing that work. So I think one great example of this that ASBPA often talks about is the North Atlantic Coast Comprehensive Study, authorized and funded following Hurricane Sandy, really looking at how to improve the resilience and improve projects and improve coordination across the entire North Atlantic <clears throat> Division. There's a similar study being that was authorized and, and funded and is currently being implemented in the South Atlantic Coast. I know there's a, a Great Lakes Coastal Resilience Study. I just, I guess this is sort of an open-ended question if, if you guys would like to comment on some of these major coastal, regional coastal studies that are have happened, are undergoing, or sort of in the works and sort of the value you see in them. Are there things that we should be take we as a coastal community should be taking away are there specific l items or, or lessons learned that the core uh, finds valuable in these studies so sort of an open-ended question what do you think about these I, I would guess by I would start by saying that they've probably pushed us the core more into our uncomfortableness than ever before and it's and the this uncomfortableness should have happened years ago so mm -hmm. It's forced people to work together. Um, you know, historically, the Corps, we still have some thinking out there where it's pre-1986, where it was 100% federal, and, and, you know, the Corps would get a mission and go and get all the money and go do projects. But 
So, but that's not the right way to do business. I mean, we're ultimately, we're, we're not the end users of, of any of these projects or majority of these projects. And um, these comprehensive studies and these comprehensive authorities have really pushed everybody to really get to the table, talk about what their interests are, what their needs are, and how they actually work together to put together solutions. So, you know, and I think like the Living Shoreline is an incredible uh, example of this. Um, you, you see these premises that folks have always, nature's already already done, but it's been difficult to sort of put your finger on from an engineering perspective. But once you started really getting into it, you realize, hey, this isn't that hard that we can actually do these things. So it's created this conversation. And then it's also made people realize, well, what, what can they live with? So, you know, putting hard structures necessarily or soft structures, somebody has an opinion on those either way. So, you know, so but by doing these regional uh, studies, you're able to then look at these things holistically and then how you can learn from what others are doing and marry up to what they're doing. So. Yeah, I'm really excited about the regional studies that we have done uh, and the one that's underway now. Uh, you know, the North Atlantic study was just a great example of, of the Corps of Engineers delivering a sort of a regional plan for, for the northeastern, uh, the northern Atlantic. Uh, and we're definitely looking to leverage the tools and the processes that were developed out of the, out of the North Atlantic um, Coastal Study into, into the South Atlantic Coastal Study, which, as you say, Derek, is, is just now fairly recently underway. We've also got some, some comprehensive planning done in the Gulf Coast already. You know, we've done mm-hmm. some, some work in Louisiana and the state of Mississippi uh, So uh, in response to prior disasters, uh, prior hurricanes, storms. So now we have the South Atlantic Coastal Study underway, and it's just a great opportunity to, to fully leverage all of the Corps of Engineers' great technical competencies and, very importantly, the power to convene. You know, that's one of the things the Corps of Engineers has is the, is the power, the opportunity to bring disparate agencies and stakeholder groups together to support, a, you know, some common interests, because I think there are common interests, uh, you know, affecting our coastal areas, uh, clearly. So, um, you know, to me, one of the, uh, the worst outcomes we can have from a, from a comprehensive study like is underway right now for the South Atlantic is that we have an important stakeholder or agency whose technical knowledge, uh, whose information, whose tools, whose perspectives on the coastal processes, uh, the problems and challenges that we face in our coastal areas not effectively incorporated in that study. That would be a very bad outcome to me. Uh, so it's easy to say that, but it is a significant challenge for the Corps of Engineers to do the outreach and coordination and communication uh, in order to make sure that we're, make, we're getting all the input from our, from our stakeholder community, uh, from the local agencies who have the, the local information, and also from the, the larger regional uh, state and federal agencies who have a significant role in, in uh, coastal resiliency. Maybe I could pivot to Howard or Dan. You guys have been involved in sort of the the seminal workings of what's being pitched as a Great Lakes Coastal Resilience Study, and that also fits within this and and really seems to be a a bottom-up approach. The NACs and the SACs were authorized by Congress. You guys are leading. This is coming from from the ground up. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, actually, we did that um, on behalf of a um, common uh, approach between the Corps through its Institute for Water Resources and the Coastal States Organization. And what happened there was, uh, let's take the Great Lakes. 
IWR, CSO, uh, with the cooperation of the Corps Chicago District, all the districts of the Great Lakes, the division, other agencies, as you mentioned, EPA, NOAA, FEMA, USGS, all in one room, a few people by phone, but all there, and not being told why they were there, except to say, we want to know what your common problems are with regard to resilience. And let's see, we've got different tools here that maybe we can use to get those resolved. And that uh, has worked very well so far. Awaiting funding, we understand that that's been a challenge. And that's something I hope gets uh, funded because it's going to encourage other states. But also last week, we were, you know, our firm and, and uh, again, coastal states, Baltimore, meeting of the mid-Atlantic states. What are your common needs? And what do you need to learn from each other? Because now we're dealing with folks who have different levels of expertise than those in the Great Lakes, for example, in terms of core projects. And so they, they're they there exchanging and learning from each other and saying specifically, what are they going to be in their next steps? And I think that's been you know great. And that was, again, started originally with a, a core slash Institute for Water Resources Coastal States Organization Partnership, which you also, thank goodness, uh, the ASBPA have been with us all the way. So with these regional studies, what's the major outcome? Is it, for, you know, are you trying to prevent massive damages from hurricanes? Is it about just general flooding? Is it, what is, what's the main purpose of these, uh, these larger regional studies? Well, I think it is about storms, you know, the, the threats posed by Hurricanes, you know, we're seeing, you know, unprecedented types of damages uh, recently. Uh, so, uh, you know, the threats posed by storms, storm surge, you know, inland rainfall is, is also a component of that, uh, and, and back bay flooding. So, so we really are we are looking at, um, you know, what's happening on the on the coastal area there, uh, trying to come up with a sort of a comprehensive framework. Um, for responding to the vulnerabilities that we identify in, through those efforts. Another important component is, is looking at climate. You know, wh what's going on with, uh, with uh, sea level rise? You know, the Corps of Engineers, I think, is an agency leader when it comes to incorporating sea level rise considerations into our technical analysis and also into decisions made about projects and investments in projects. But in addition to sea level rise, we're also looking at uh, how rainfall uh, and, and rainfall, changes in rainfall patterns, uh, intensity, distribution, et cetera, affects the coastal processes, especially from the, from the backside. I think the, the sea level rise, hurricane intensity, climate change impacts is a great, planning is a great way to bring together communities around those issues, which can be a little bit polarizing. I, I specifically think of the South Atlantic Coast study and the legislation that authorized that was put out by Senators Rubio and Scott, a Republican from South Carolina and Florida, obviously impacted by sea level rise, but not particularly outspoken on climate change issues. But the legislation was very explicit about dealing with these climate impacts. And so I think it's a really good opportunity for you know to sort of put aside the politics of climate change and say, this, this is what we need to deal with. And I think you guys are sort of on the forefront of that. You guys being planning and policy at the core are on the forefront of that. And Eric, you referred to the need to get the opinions of a lot of different major stakeholders. We also have partnerships, as uh, one of you has also alluded to earlier, and those partners are cost share partners. Mm -hmm. 
neither the Corps nor they has enough money to do everything that they want to do. But I know the Chief of Engineers, General Seminite, has spoken about the importance of, we call them locals, but they're really the non-federal interests, having to step up and try to, was it, fill in the gap? Uh, funding? How would you describe that? So, so I guess I'm going to go take a step back first to answer your question, Dan, a little bit differently than Eric did, which will then help Power answer yours. <laughs> so part of what I also see as what we're doing with these comprehensive studies is trying to identify and put together a plan for everybody to row, row in. What, what direction are we going? So people are, you know, people are paying taxes. We all pay taxes. They're all being spent someplace. So the worst thing we want to do is have our tax dollars spent in, a, in, in some way that may be undone or undermined or useless. So I believe these comprehensive studies also provide a framework for people to start doing things that they can do on their own or with each other in a more cost-effective manner. So if you're identifying a big solution that includes different things that locals have to do, maybe a municipality, maybe a county or a parish um, or a state or the federal government and different agencies from, from each of those, they all may have a piece into that. And that's where I see where General Seminite is getting to is that we all can't do this alone. So, you know, I always tell people out in the field, I was like, you know, we're doing this in partnership. So locals could do everything without us. They may need a permit, but they don't need our money or expertise. We can't do anything without the locals. We have to sign with somebody. We have to partner with somebody to go do that work. And there's a lot of work stuff to do. So General Seminite is pushing that Federal government does have a, you know, we always hear about the core backlog and everything else, but there are a lot of things we all can do, I think, smarter in terms of starting to buy down risk if it's it's for flood risk or or to start doing environmental restoration, other things. So so how do you do those things in a way that's smarter up front so, again, you're not wasting it down the road? Joe, what do you mean by buy down risk? Can you explain that a little bit? So I, I, I guess, you know, so you're looking at like a shoreline or whatever. So, you know, there are could be multiple aspects um, that go into um, flooding that may be as a result of uh, a shoreline or area that can't uh, have the capacity to handle floods or extreme floods or even low level floods. So there are multiple things that people can do to uh, make it less riskier uh, to say for them, um, such as what can they do to their homes and structures first? What can communities do to have better zoning to minimize those impacts? What can the locals or, or, or the federal government do to build dunes or if you're looking at a coastal climate or and then what can you do to build beaches so each of those things alone will work but all of them together are very powerful and can do a lot more so as you w without any of these things you're at a certain risk um, and, and you're, you're it's, it's just happening but then as you start implementing some of these things you're you're buying down the the risk, so to say, as I'm describing, um, to, to lessen that. It doesn't say that you're buying it down to zero. So we should never be uh, a nation that says it's never going to happen. I mean, we're all watching what's happening in the Midwest right now, which hasn't happened uh, in record. Um, I don't think, you know, they go back to 1927 right now, but we've already exceeded that. So so we have to learn how to also live with that. So and that may that still buys down risk in, in terms of how to live with it. So that's what I mean. Howard, I, I think of our comprehensive planning efforts as a framework, and so uh, um, and it, it is a framework for 
all of the stakeholders, agencies and stakeholders, to prioritize their actions. But as you pointed out, we have uh, non-federal sponsors and projects already authorized um, and in many cases constructed within the footprints of these, of these comprehensive plans. So the comprehensive planning effort will also help to understand better where to prioritize our respective investments and it helps so that helps our non-federal partners uh, plan uh, you know to, to provide their cost share and, and uh, understand better uh, how the Corps of Engineers is is uh, prioritizing uh, construction projects and future beach renourishments. I think one of the things that um, locals really look to the Corps on is technical expertise. There's a lot of trust and not every problem results in a core project. And rather than get into the issue, how do you determine federal interest, I wanted to focus on the fact that you do have programs that do provide technical assistance mm -hmm. through the, the planning departments of various districts. I think they're very important. I know that was a lot of the, um, the focus of uh, recent uh, efforts that we've had, uh, that we've been involved in and working with across project lines and across district lines. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that out. I mean, I think that is one of our great capabilities that we, we have and that people can tap into, and it's sort of a low-cost, if you will, uh, way to access the technical capabilities that the Corps of Engineers has. We have planning assistance to states, uh, and so that simply requires an agreement, and uh, our partners can provide all of their contributions to that through work in kind without providing any cash. Uh, you know, similarly, we have these other authorized uh, programs like uh, the Continuing Authorities Program, which would enable the Corps of Engineers and a, and a, and a local partner to do a, a smaller scale civil works project. So we have these other other tools at our disposal, uh, which I hope people um, you know understand and, and are leveraging. How can a listener find a bit find out a bit more about either planning assistance to states or the continuing authorities programs? These smaller programs that you may not have a need a full authorization for? How can, how can they find out more about those? Well, start with, uh, you know, your local Corps of Engineers district office. Uh, you know, so that's easy to find out with a web search if you don't know, you know, you know where they are, what their contact information is. It's, it's easy to, to find out your local district office. And there'll be contact us information on those, on those uh, web pages. And then we also have, you know, other resources, Joe, and maybe you can speak to our other, I'll say, marketing or informational resources we have about our other programs and projects. On our website, we'll have links into, um, and we're updating actually right now, our project sponsorship kit, we call it, um, that will show you how you go from a project from beginning to end. Um, and then uh, there'll be other links within the website in terms of uh, how, how you go about doing a project. But I also went and stop there in, in terms of how important it is to you. So we're responsive to Congress, you know, and um, getting your congressional delegation, no matter how small or how large, if it's a problem, it's large. So you have to live with it. That's a big problem. And it shouldn't matter to anybody how, what the potential dollars implications could be. But, you know, that's what they're there for. And we have a good relationship with them and they'll reach out directly to us or to the local districts um, and be able to provide uh, responses back to them and, and get you a point of contact and, and ask somebody to come out. So I, I knew when I started in New York District uh, 24 years ago, I spent probably half my year out in communities just talking to folks, um, especially around flood season. So um, and dealing with that and understanding what the problems were and what the potential solutions are. So that initial door through your local district and then having a conversation to grow from there is, is incredible. So, 
You guys see uh, the CAP programs and planning assistance estates being a good opportunity to fill in uh, the voids that are left over. And you guys have uh, big congressional projects. You have a beach nourishment project on an island. Uh, yet that island still has uh, auxiliary issues associated with like back bay flooding, tidal flooding, nuisance flooding. Do you think the CAP programs and regional sediment management programs are a good a good fit to, to take over some of those smaller issues? Sure, they're a good fit. You know, I view them as tools in the toolbox. Uh, and so uh, I want to just acknowledge that, uh, you know, the Corps of Engineers doesn't own the toolbox. So other agencies have capabilities uh, that they can bring to bear to respond to, to coastal concerns, coastal issues. Maybe the Corps of Engineers isn't, doesn't own that solution to that problem. But uh, we certainly have these, these tools you know, that, are, that we can leverage right away. The, the planning assistance to states, continuing authorities, travel partnerships, those kinds of things, you know, those enable people to, to work with the Corps of Engineers, interact with the Corps of Engineers. There is a tension there because our continuing authorities programs uh, are, are in some cases are oversubscribed. And what I mean by that is there's essentially more demand uh, for projects under those individual authorities than there is funding available on any given year to, to respond to the problems that, are, that people are bringing to the Corps of Engineers through the, through the continuing authorities program. But again, that's just a conversation you have with the local district office there so that uh, everybody's on the same page regarding the, the problem that's being addressed, the authority that applies, the funding that's available, and the, and the process for getting that project approved through that, through that continuing authorities program. Do you think that uh, there should be plus-ups to those accounts? to fund those additional projects? Well, short answer, yes. But I'll also say, you know, we have, we have an execution problem in the Corps of Engineers. And, uh, you know, sometimes that's that's not just the Corps of Engineers because we do everything in partnership with non-federal sponsors. And so, uh, you know, we require a cost share to, to do a construction project. So sometimes we can't execute the funds that we have on hand for multiple reasons. Uh, so, yeah, it would be great to have more funding in continuing authorities. You know, Congress has authorized a significant amount of funding uh, for those programs, uh, for that program and, and the individual authorities under that program. We don't always get the, the funding that is authorized. And in fact, we're actually carrying you know, a little bit of a backlog that we need to, to do a better job of executing in order for Congress to, to have more confidence uh, in the Corps of Engineers to, to execute more under those under those under those programs and just do a little editorial here i think you, sometimes you put into a straitjacket by congress in the process and they ask you for comment on this because it's outside of your territory but you know thank you we, howard you, we, <laughs> thank you. you know you, you have a process there and states uh, and local governments have their process sometimes they're budgeting uh, cycles don't meet up with the federal budget right. cycles, and so they have to plan. You're already planning a couple of years ahead. They may have to plan even more than that ahead. But I, I do think that is a uh, a problem for you folks to deal with. And yet, I, I know that uh, the technical assistance programs are ones that we've been focusing a lot lately, uh, finding out that people say, oh, I didn't know that the Corps could help us that way. And so I'm, I'm glad that, uh, Dan, you raised the issue and that I think uh, going to the website, uh, most districts have uh, a fact sheet on planning assistance states, have a fact sheet on continuing authorities programs, and there are several different ones. And Usually a dedicated person on staff, yeah, uh, a right. CAP program yeah. manager. And In our districts, that's right, yes. Yeah. 
So, I mean, it seems like one big takeaway from coastal stakeholders is is get to know your, your local core district and your local planner. The planners are, what I'm hearing is problem solvers, whether it's a problem at a, a particular project. And there's a fair amount of, to, to build on Eric's analogy, there's a fair amount of tools in the toolbox that planners have, but they have an even longer inventory of tools that maybe other agencies have. So certainly a great opportunity to a great entree to the core seems like getting to know your local planner and, and policy. Person. Yeah, I think that's well said. I mean, if there's one one thing I would want to make sure that the people listening to this podcast understand is that the Corps of Engineers has such great technical capability and capacity. I mean, Howard mentioned it earlier, and uh, I just I hope that they leverage us even more than they are already. I mean, sometimes uh, we're viewed as a as a large bureaucratic difficult to access agency but i don't think that's true at the district level so it just takes making that initial contact to you know have a discussion about whatever problems water resources problems and other types of uh, related problems uh, the corps of engineers may have an authority that fits and uh, i think we can come up with the solutions or at least the, a path forward to identify what those solutions are so we're about at the end of our time but i want to ask my final hard-hitting technical question that i ask most of our our guests this is the Capitol Beach. We do talk about beach issues. And all of us work on beach issues because at some point in our lives, we've enjoyed the beach, or at least everyone I've talked to thus far. So my final technical hard-hitting question is, what is your favorite beach and or coastal area and why? So I guess I was going to say one, uh, but I think I'm going to say two beaches. So as a person who grew up in Long Island, I got my extremes. So I grew up on the North Shore, which is very a lot of cliffs and a lot of rocks. So Rocky Point Beach, where I grew up, um, is where I spent probably every day in the summer. And then if I wanted to just get some more sand in between my toes, I go to Smith's Point County Park on the South Shore and Fire Island. So love that. So uh, I grew up in Northwest Florida. So uh, you know the Emerald Coast, uh, the Gulf Coast beaches there are, are without par, according to some. Uh, there's still a, a fantastic uh, white sandy beaches uh, in the Panhandle of Florida there, and, and uh, it's worth noting, uh, Derek, that one reason those beaches are in such great condition today is the stewardship provided by the federal government and also the local government agencies to make sure we have uh, a healthy beach that people can access and recreate on. It's just a great place to go and, and uh, spend your summer days. Well, thank you guys. Thanks for thanks to Howard and Dan for joining me. The water log. Thank you, Beach. Thank yep, you very much. definitely. Thank, thank you very much. And thanks to our uh, planners at headquarters. Um, thank you very hey, much. Thanks for doing this, Derek. This was great. Thanks very much, guys. Take care.